going to convince you that Goodwill Hunting is one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> if you don't know, Matt Damon stars this 20-year-old genius kid who grew up in the south side of Boston, and he commutes to MIT to solve really complex math problems. It's pretty impressive. Um, he starts dating this girl, Skylar, uh, and pretty much they go on a few first few dates, and he's not really willing to let his guard down, to let the walls come down and let Skylar really know who he is. And by three-fourths of the movie, Skylar actually calls him out on this, like, hey, you, come on. You haven't been honest with me. And they get in this fight, and she calls him out and says, well, what about your 12 brothers? You told me you had 12 brothers. And listen to what Will says what we can all feel. What do you want to know? What? That I don't really have 12 brothers? That I'm a freaking orphan? You don't want to hear that. No, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that I got freaking cigarettes put out on me when I was a little kid. That this isn't freaking surgery that the freaking dude stabbed me. You don't want to hear that crap, Skylar. Don't tell me you want to hear that. Friends, we've all felt like Will. We don't want people to know the deepest, darkest scars that we have. It might be too much. But what David does in Psalm 139 today is reflect on God's goodness, how he intimately knows us, and says, this is encouraging that I fully know you. So we're going to look at this, how God intimately knows us, how he intimately is with us, and how he calls us and urges us to holiness as part of that intimacy. First of all, knowing. Uh, Jesus in John seventeen three says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is it. Eternal ramifications are going on right here. This is it. If you don't hear anything else, having a relationship with Jesus Christ, following him, he intimately knows you. All right, quickest sermon ever. See y'all later. <laughs> Seriously, that would be awesome. If you've heard uh, the name J.I. Packer, he has a whole book committed to this. It's called Knowing God. It's awesome. Verse 1. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. I love how David starts. Just a side comment. He starts with, O oh Lord. He addresses God as, you are my Lord. This is a, a stance of humility. David also, uh, by saying, you have known me, it's not like, hey, you just figured out something about me. God has known us from the beginning. And the, the Hebrew word, if you're familiar with Seinfeld, you might know it. It's yada, 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 yada. But in Seinfeld, it's actually used in an incorrect way. It's like yada, 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 pass over that. What the Hebrew word yada actually means is to know intimately. It's the same word Adam and Eve knew each other. They became one flesh. It's mentioned five times in this psalm. That's how God knows us, in that intimate way. Verses 2 through 6, you know, you yada, intimately, when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, you're acquainted with all my ways, before words on my tongue. Lord, you know it, yada, you know it. Altogether, 
You hem me in, behind and before me. You lay your hand on me. This is personal. We have a God that knows us, that's transcendent, that's omnipresent, theological term for, or omniscient, theological term for all-knowing, but in a personal way. That is our God that we worship. And if you're like me, this might, this might like, like Will, like Matt Damon's character, be kind of a scary thing to be intimately known, fully seen, intimately known. And so what we do, instead of being intimate with God and with others, is we run, we build these walls up. We get busy with our work. We have hobbies. We numb with Netflix or Apple TV, Ted Lasso. We go to alcohol. We go to fun things, even good things, sometimes instead of being intimate with God. I want to uh, imagine this hypothetical scenario with me. So we just talked about Vision Dinner, two weeks, market calendars if you haven't. It's going to be awesome. And Scott was not lying when that Mexican food, it, it really slaps. It's awesome. And so when everyone gets in this room and is eating, having a good time, imagine two weeks before that, which is today, you have a pamphlet and it's could be one of the scariest things you ever heard, but bear with me. Every thought is written down in this pamphlet. Every word you say, every action. I don't know about you, but I don't really want anyone to see that pamphlet. So just run with me. Imagine, for two weeks, this pamphlet actually grows into like a pretty thick-sized like book. Like, every single thought, every single word. And you have to bring it to the vision dinner, but you're not going to, you know, obviously let anyone see it. You have a great dinner. We're going to hear about what the Lord is going to do, what he has done the past year. And you leave the dinner, and it's your worst nightmare. You forgot the book inside here. And it's actually worse. When you get back to this room, you realize people have actually seen the book and opened it and started reading this thought, this word, the last two weeks. And so you know what you're going to do. You're going to find a different city to live in. (laughs) You're going to go to the car as quick as you can and say, I'm never coming back to this church. I don't want anyone to know anything, uh, to know me intimately because it's dark. And friends, what David is encouraging us with is he's saying, God, you intimately do know us, and that actually instills confidence. It's amazing. Let me read verses 13 through 16 again. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Friends, quickly, does your soul know God's works? This is a quick application that David even just gives a softball lob. Do you know God's works? This is awesome. His response is to praise. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Your book were in every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Friends, this is encouraging because a lot of you, like me, when we have, when we go through difficulty, when we're suffering, when we're anxious, 
when we're depressed and can't get through that hard spell of depression. Maybe you have ongoing pain that doesn't seem to go away, or marital conflict, or family conflict. It doesn't go away. And you want to know, God, do you see me? Do you see me suffering? Friends, what David is reflecting on is, actually, yes, God does see you. You have value before you were even born. His sovereignty displayed in these verses is incredible. He knew that you were going to be suffering before you even started suffering. It's incredibly encouraging for us that need comfort. But we, we don't have a God that just knows us intimately. This intimacy also includes being present with us. Let's skip to Psalm 139, 7 through 12. David, I want you to notice the tone of, of I said his voice, but the tone of the passage. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings in the morning, that's an expression to say uh, the east. So if I look east, you're there. Uttermost parts of the sea, Mediterranean Sea, is west. So like east, west, you're there. Even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, darkness is light with you. Friends, this is another heady theological uh, idea that God, our God, is omnipresent. What that means is he's with us everywhere. So not only is he all-knowing, he's all-present. This is going to get a little teachy for a minute, so bear with me. An RTS professor explained it this way, a seminary professor. He said, because God is transcendent, he's also imminent. Because he's utterly metaphysically different from creation, his presence does not compete against us, but rather establishes creaturely existence. When you look at Psalm 139, these last few verses that I read, and you ask, where can I go from your spirit? God's going to be there. He is there with us. I don't know if if you've heard of the TV show Ted Lasso or watched it. New season just came out on Friday. Um, Big fans. And Ted Lasso actually understands this idea of being present and the importance of intimacy that being with people uh, communicates. If you don't know, he's an American football, Ted Lasso, this coach, he's an American football coach, gets called to Europe to be their football soccer coach, and he doesn't know a lick about soccer. But what he does know is about relationships and coaching, uh, coaching his players. So throughout the season, highs and lows, their best player, Jamie Tart, gets traded, and in the last game, it all depends on this last game. If they win or draw, they can actually stay in their league. If they lose, then, well, they get demoted. Go to the, the league under. And so the whole game, it's like, man, down one. And they finally tie it. It's like, oh, we got it. We're going to win. And then Jamie Tart, man, he's playing for another team now. He got traded. Gives the perfect pass. And Ted Lasso's team loses. Last second. 
And if you've played sports or been invested in anything and lost, you can feel the weight when they go in the locker room. Just like, oh, man, it feels bad to lose a job, to get demoted. And so when he's in the locker room, Ted says this. This is incredible. He says, look at everyone else in here. And I want you to be grateful that you're going through this sad moment with all these other folks. Because I promise you, there's something worse out there than being sad. And that is being alone and being sad. And ain't nobody in this room alone. Friends, in your sadness, be encouraged that God is with us. He is present with us. It's incredible. Jesus actually tells his disciples, I'm going to send my, this comforter, Holy Spirit. And it's actually better that he's here than if I stayed on earth. Friends, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. You're united to Christ. You don't have to go through life alone. Our very mission, City Church Eastside's mission, joining God's family on a mission, speaks to this. This is what we want to be. This is who we're trying to be. Trying to be a family on a mission for the renewal of all things. And so to be intimately known and to be present, we're not supposed to walk alone. This is why Tim Keller, he asked when he got diagnosed with cancer last year, again, he asked for prayers for he and his wife, Kathy, and he said, I want to use this opportunity to be weaned from the joys of the world and desire God's presence above all. And his family to be comforted, comforted and encouraged. Friends, instead of running from intimacy with God, know that he is there for you and he's there with you. And our church, our church body is here for you. If there's ever a plug for DNA groups or community groups to get involved with the church and let people know you and encourage you to follow Jesus. This is it. So not only are we intimately known by God, and that includes his presence, but also this gives us, this gives us confidence to strive for holiness. Let's go to uh, verses 19 through 22. This seems jarring at first. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. A little context. We have to remember that David in 2 Samuel uh, 7 has said, or God has uh, said to David in 2 Samuel 7 that I'm going to establish your throne forever. Pretty much the Savior, he's going to come from your line. And so David has these people that are trying to kill him, and what does he say? I hate you. How does that compare with what Jesus says to love your neighbor? Well, let me explain a few things that these verses point out. David, being so familiar with the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the law, and the Mosaic Covenant, would have known the Ten Commandments way better than we do, even when we have a song associated with it. So he says, 
Third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. He's like, these guys are doing that. Sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. These guys are killing your people. Uh, ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. Look at these guys. Part of actually loving God and loving his character is seeking justice. And so he's saying, Lord, these people that are unjust, would you fix this? And I want to make the point that it's not like, hey, I hate these people uh, just because, you know, I spite them. He's so connected to God that he sees, like, there's people out there that are doing the exact opposite of following your commandments. Would you help me with this? It's almost a natural response if my wife Jackie is, I I love my wife Jackie, and if someone doesn't like her, wants to fight her, go through me first, right? Because I love her. Because we love God and his character, that's why David has the freedom to say in a prayer, would you slay the wicked? As crazy as that sounds. And what's incredible about slaying the wicked, before he goes back to himself in the last verses, we have to be reminded of our wickedness. Take a look at our own sins. And that pamphlet turned into a book. We have to do business with that. Paul says this when we're in Romans 5. He says, For while we are still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the wicked, that's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, we were the enemy, Christ died for us. Isn't it incredible that Christ knows us. That he left the riches of heaven, where he was known eternally by the Father, to come and dwell with us. Part of intimacy is being known. Part of intimacy is being present. And so we see the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, come and be with us, take on flesh. But not only is he with us and fully, completely knows us and loves us, he urges us to holiness. We see this in David. After he says this piece about the wicked and the justice of God, he then moves to himself. The last two verses are, Search me, O God, and know my heart. You go back to not on the slides, but if you think back to the first verse, it was past tense. You have known me. You have searched me. This is present tense. Continue to search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. This is incredible, the confidence that knowing God intimately gives you and God being present with us can give you. How how do I say that? Why do I say that? Because this is the same David that cheated and had an affair with Bathsheba and murdered her husband. And he has the confidence to say, keep on searching me. That's a pretty big if. And see, if there is any grievous, there is. There's a whole book in the last two weeks. But he has the confidence to say, lead me. The humility to have open hands and say, lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, I want to end with an illustration that we see in the Bible, actually. John 4, Jesus 
is with his disciples, and they're going, instead of around Samaria, they're going through Samaria, and he meets this woman at the well. And you see all three aspects of intimacy that Jesus portrays with this woman. First, you see that he knows her. She actually says, here's a man who told me everything I've ever done. They have this lengthy conversation. He knows that she's been through five husbands. He's not even married to the current guy she's sleeping with. And yet, what does Jesus do? He goes to be with her and then calls her to holiness. Someone who is totally unqualified as an evangelist or preacher, she goes running into town. It's the Christ. Check out what he just told me. Intimacy with Christ. Do you see how good this is? And that was after, like, what, 15 minutes? Hanging out with Jesus? Friends, I want to show you that intimacy with Christ. Don't, if you're not experiencing that right now, don't you want that? Don't you, like, dream that to be true? David is saying it's true. With Jesus, we can be intimate with him and fully known, fully loved. And that can actually instill confidence in us to go out and be holy, to love our neighbors. And even with this book of sin, to be encouraged, have open hands and say, Lord, continue to know me. Continue to lead me because of what Jesus has done. Because he knows us and died for us so that he could be with us and be intimate with us. Friends, that is the good news of the gospel. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you took on flesh, that you not only know us, but you love us, that you're here with us, that you can still urge us to holiness, to be more like you, even despite the ways we fail and the ways we come up short. Lord, help us believe and be encouraged by what David has reflected on, of your goodness, your omniscience. Lord, how you are omnipresent, but also how you are so personal with us, to put your hand on us, to guide us. Lord, can we be reminded of that and tell of your glory to friends and family and remind ourselves daily of your goodness so we can be encouraged to go out and love others. We ask this in your name. Amen. Search my heart.